episode 119, Scott J. Allen. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, it's Nikki. And today I'm with Scott J. Allen to converse about designing impact or just getting through. Who wants to live in a state of just getting by or just being fine? I consider fine a four-letter word. You know what I mean. I am so excited to dig into this conversation. It's going to energize you. So here's a good question for you, our listeners, to get in the zone for this episode. Are you using your leadership role as a practice field and using the time intentionally to make the most impact, or are you just getting through? That's what we're going to talk about today. So welcome to Go Plus Science. How do we assess our current behaviors to know where do we stand in our leadership? Are we just getting through or are we designing impact? Uh, Nikki, I think, uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. It's a fun conversation. It's an important conversation. When you reflect on the best supervisor or boss you've ever had or worked for, a teacher or coach or really anyone in a position of authority, and you think about the worst person that you ever worked with or for, you know, there's just a drastic difference. So I, I love the framing of work being a practice field. Are you just getting through the day and knocking off tasks or are you actually intentionally designing, designing the day? And so I think for me, one of the first couple things that come to mind when it comes to this conversation as I'm working with leaders, as I'm teaching on this topic is, are you an individual who is known as open to feedback? Because you know what it feels like when you're working for someone who really is seeking out feedback, wants feedback, and is open to it. And you know what it feels like when you work for an individual who is not. And the challenge for that person who is not is that they are closing themselves off to data, like a lot of data. And what happens is they are then making decisions and working in the world absent a lot of very, very important information. So for me, like step one, are you interested in how others experience you? Are you known as an individual who's open to feedback? And are you a person who's constantly, and this is kind of the number two on that, are, are you a person who has a, a reflective mindset? Do you stay in a place of kind of reflecting in action consistently, like as a way of being? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, you know, just the want to, to ask people for feedback and embrace that says the message, I care to get better, right? And, and if you care to get better, you're living intentionally because if not, then, I mean, what's the point? Like, if you don't care, then you're not going to ask, right? So yes, I love that you said, you know, that question, are you open to feedback? It's really embracing feedback is a difference maker, big one. So let's speak to the leader who is just getting through right now. And I want to just preface this by no one, I don't think really just wants to be there. Like if you're there, I've been there. I've done that. No one wants to be there. So if you're there, you're there, but like recognize it. And before we give suggestions of great thoughts from Scott and and really best practices to making change, Scott, talk about why do most people settle for just getting through? Let me say one thing about what I said previously. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to agree 
with the feedback that everyone's giving you. you it, that doesn't mean that. It's not what I was saying. It means that you're known as a person who's open to feedback and you're interested in gathering that data. And you're ultimately going to have to make decisions that, that may not be in alignment with what other people want, but them knowing is half the battle. You seeking out is half the battle. And so I think for me, one reason people are just kind of getting through is that they're afraid. Uh, they're afraid to ask that question. You're, you have to become a little bit vulnerable and you have to become, you have to come face to face with probably some areas of development and areas of growth. And I don't want any of our listeners to be fooled. The first three or four times you ask your, your team, how can I improve? Uh, they're going to say, you're great. <laughs> they're going to say, you're doing awesome, boss. I really love being here at Company X. This is great. And so you have to kind of chip away and build trust. And how you respond when people do give you feedback can make all the difference in the world. So for people who are just getting through the day, oftentimes confronting the brutal facts, that's scary. And so they avoid it. They avoid those conversations. They avoid being vulnerable. And what's really interesting about that is kind of in the pursuit of avoiding that, they live into this larger fear of not being successful. I was just thinking as uh, you know, you and I both agree, no one wants to just be there. Like who would want to just float through life? And one thing I learned a while back is really there's four quadrants or four buckets of why we work or why things stimulate us or, or make us want to get the feedback and be better. And one is purpose in life and that tying to our, our work. One is status and kind of the climb to be at this certain status and role that we're looking for. One is influence, looking for an opportunity to use something we're fired up about or that we can teach, like to impact other people. And then the fourth one is money. And none are right or wrong. Everybody goes through different ones. I'm just throwing that out just in case someone would want a worksheet that I've got that can kind of walk through that and help. Because for people that are stuck in that spot, no one wants to be there. And we're going to talk the rest of the time on Scott's ideas for how do we make this shift? I want to break it down into two places, if that's okay, Scott. One is let's talk about leveling up and let's talk about making a complete shift. So we're going to speak to the people right now that are like, I'm pretty much on fire. Like, I feel like I'm pretty intentional, but I can get better. And then let's talk to the people that are in that stuck place and really making the shift. So which place do you want to start? Let's talk about the, the people who are stuck first, because I think another reason that, that people can be stuck or they're just getting through is that leadership, like parenting, like coaching, like teaching, it's just difficult. It's hard work. So you're, you're holding kind of the energy of all these other people who are at all of these different places. And it's incredibly difficult. There was an author named M. Scott Peck who wrote a book in the 70s called The Road Less Traveled. He's a psychologist. And, and the book starts off with a line. It's kind of like good to great, you know, like that has just this really powerful opening line that just doesn't leave you. And his line was, life is difficult, period. Right. And someday I'm going to write a book that's called, and, and the opening line is just going to be leadership is difficult. So another reason people are just getting through the day is the sheer volume of what they're trying to tackle. And especially if we've come out of this 15 month and, and many are still in, engaged in this of multitasking and we've got family in the house and we're trying to get our work done. We're simply just trying to stay above water. So I think that's one reason people kind of stay in that place. And for me, 
I think one of the most important steps in this whole process is just really becoming aware of when literally you're just in that space of frustration, challenge, can't catch up. It's in some cases you might just get angry. And are we pausing and are we really kind of trying to go to 15,000 feet, 30,000 feet and looking down like you're on a balcony, looking down at the situation? Because oftentimes we are a part of the dysfunction. We are a part of the problem. We are as an individual. And becoming aware of that, when you're feeling that kind of intensely over and over and over, day after day after day, I'm just staying above water, just surviving. We have to get aware of that and we have to get in tune with that. And then we have to start thinking about what we need to shift. What, and one of my favorite quotes, Nikki, every system is perfectly designed for the results that it achieves. So if at the end of the day, you are frustrated, angry, worn out, tired, on empty, there's a system in place that's causing that. So that's step one. Step two for me is, for me personally, it's my wife. We walk for about two hours a day. And it's, it's mentors. And I, I see a psychologist every two weeks. So I've kind of built this army of peers, my wife, a psychologist who can like literally look at you know some of these situations through a clinical lens. And I arm myself with individuals that I can then have conversations with so that I can problem solve, I can scenario plan, I can think, and I can start tweaking and running little experiments to see if I can shift the system. Because ultimately, and I love that quote, every system is perfectly designed for the results that it achieves. So there's a system in place for my weight right now. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not the system I want in place. There's a system in place on earth that allows us to live. But there's also a system in place when it comes to your day to day. So it's that awareness of really checking in with, okay, this isn't working. Number two, who are the individuals that I have in my life that can help me think through some of these things? And number three, what are some experiments I can begin to run to create a new system? And you know what? You're going to go through this loop and you're going to continue to stay engaged in conversation. You're going to have mentors. You're going to have these individuals who are your thinking partners. You're going to be running these experiments and it's going to improve or it may stay the same, in which case I think the, the conversation with those mentors and trusted advisors becomes, hey, am I in the right context? Is this the right place for me right now? Because you know what? I'm in this perpetual just getting through, and that's not how I want to live my life. Okay. So this quote, I'm going to steal it for a second. Every system is perfectly designed for the results it achieves. When you go to McDonald's, they got a system in place to get you a meal quick. When you go to Nordstrom, there's a system of customer service in place that feels different than let's go, you know, TJ Maxx. No offense to TJ Maxx. Amazon has a system in place that yields that package. I wrote a book the other day and it was there the next morning, right? I mean, the system is in place. And so I constantly go back to that quote in my, there's a few quotes that I consistently go back to that help me frame situations for sure. So 
a system in my life is my morning routine and my morning routine has multiple components. One is my prayer time. One is my reviewing of my calendar and setting intentions for everything on my calendar and just confirming the day. The next one is creating a short list of the, the things I need to do just in my life as a whole that are not on my calendar, you know, home projects, family things, things like that. And then um, I do affirmations as part of a, a meditation to wrap it up, okay? I have a very sharp morning routine. And when I go through phases of not doing that morning routine, my days suck. Like they, they're terrible. When I, my morning routine is on point, everything flows. It just, it go, it's smooth, like no surprises. I don't work from fire drills. And that is just the simplest thing that came to mind to illustrate this is morning routine equals successful day and no morning routine equals terrible day. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting about that, Nikki, is that you've probably experimented, right? You've had times, like you said, where that wasn't in place and you know the day just didn't unfold. For me, it's very, very similar. If I wake up at like 5.30 and I have an hour and a half before our children wake up to just get myself centered, knock out some items on the to-do list, kind of plan the planes for when they're going to land, right? Check in with my wife to really figure out how everything's going to unfold. And then the two of us go on a walk. And then I kind of come back into the day. For me, that's my system. So it's not the same as yours, but we've experimented for a long time about, okay, how do I enter the day so that I'm setting myself up for success? Whether that's having a new go bar and that's really all I need, not some big breakfast or not no breakfast, right? A couple cups of coffee. But yeah, that's a great example. That's a perfect example. And so we have these systems in our lives, whether it's how we're eating, working out, how we work. And then we have these larger systems of just, you know, maybe the whole thing's falling apart. But again, for me, that's where those trusted advisors are so incredibly helpful and then again, if you're known as a woman or a man or a person who's open to feedback and you're not agreeing with all of it, but taking it in as data points. I started a class the other night. It's an MBA course. It's the first time I've taught a course. It's really kind of 75% asynchronous, which means we aren't together. 25% synchronous, a lot of it online. Look, I said to him, night one, give me feedback. What do you like? What do you dislike? What do you want more of? What do you want less of? I want this to be the best class you've ever taken. You set that tone with a group of students and they actually believe that you care and that you may not be able to shift everything this semester, but you're going to take it in and you really do value it. Whoa, that sets you up for success. And, and I think it's that way, whether I'm in management or coaching a team or working with uh, uh, my partner, my wife. And it's critical, right? So for me, those are a couple starting places. Look, this isn't working. Do I have a team of people and thinking partners to help me think about this? And then what are some safe, actionable experiments I can run to see if we can shift this? So at the end of the day, I'm not on E. At the end of the day, I'm not angry. At the end of the day, I do still have something for my family. So we talked about some keys to getting started around how do you make this shift from just getting through to living a more intentional life. Now let's speak to the listeners that are on a good path, good trajectory, but want to level up. Thoughts there? Yes, this is fun. There is a scholar. He just passed away within the last year. I was fortunate enough to have him on my podcast before he passed away. His name is Kay Anders Erickson, and he wrote a book called Peak. 
And Anders Ericsson was at Florida State University. He's a psychologist. He was in this little kind of unique dimension of psychology called the expertise literature. Now, he wrote a book that has always just stuck with me. And, and so this gentleman was really interested in how someone works at the highest levels. And he didn't care what the domain was. Piloting, chess, wrestling, didn't care. Just wanted to figure out how did she become a world-class cello player? So what's really fun about his work is that he came up with this concept of what's called deliberate practice. So first he, he and I'm going to be very simplistic here. There's a lot more to what I'm about to say, but I'm giving you the, the cliff notes if those still even exist. <laughs> It's one of my favorite sayings. And you know what? You know what I just uh, said about you is you're probably a D on a disc profile. I use it all the time. Cliff notes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe today it would be the blink, right? The blinkest. So I think what sets apart an expert from a novice? Well, an expert has incredible domain knowledge. They see patterns much more quickly and they can scenario plan the three or four options they have. And then they intervene skillfully more regularly. So let's say you have Sully, the pilot, and you have an expert pilot who finds themselves an incredible amount of domain knowledge in the beginning and finds themselves in a situation and can very quickly analyze and see the patterns and diagnose what's going on. This happens in the emergency room all the time as well. The emergency room doc or the pilot in this emergency, I'm going to double double example here. They very quickly can see their four or five options and scenario plan the benefits and the drawbacks of each of those options. And then they'll choose one. And if it's surgery, we're going to actually skillfully intervene and perform the surgery. You don't want an ER doc who says, yeah, you have a bullet in you, but I can't, sorry, can't take that out. <laughs> That's not good, right? Same thing with the pilot. Sully, with skill, landed the plane on the river. So what separates novices from, from, from experts? Well, experts have this domain knowledge. They see patterns. They scenario plan quickly, and they intervene skillfully. They can play the music with excellence, whatever it is. So how does someone get there? Well, they get there through what's called deliberate practice. And again, there's more to this than I'm going to say. But four of the main ingredients are time, repetition, real-time coaching and feedback, and then we have working on skills outside of your current ability level. Erickson's work was taken by Gladwell and, in my opinion, bastardized with the 10,000-hour rule because you can put me on a golf course and I'll play for 10,000 hours and I'll probably improve but I'm also going to build some bad habits and I may not improve as quickly as if I had all four of those ingredients. So time, repetition, real-time coaching and feedback, and then we've got working on skills outside of our current ability level. So world-class cellist, 15 to 20 years, four to five hours a day. We've got real-time coaching and feedback. We've got repetition. And for 15 or 20 years, that cellist is working on things they can't currently do and staying in that space. The research on humans suggests that most of us, once we get to a level of competence in our role, we plateau and don't stay in that space of growth and development. So for those people wanting to level up, okay, we're going to start combining a couple things here. You've got time. 
The problem is, as each one of you listening know right now, uh, there's a lot of people practicing the wrong things, repeating the wrong things over and over and over in organizational life. Because maybe they're not open to feedback. Maybe they aren't aware of how they're showing up to others. Maybe there's fear and people aren't sharing that data with them. So because we don't have a coach, so to speak, who observes us in real time, are you known as a person who's open to feedback? And are you seeking it out from others? Was that a little too harsh in that meeting? Did that message communicate and resonate with others? Or was it missing something? You're constantly asking those types of questions and seeking to understand. And then you show up every day and you are intentionally practicing something maybe you're not the best at. And that could be emotional intelligence. That could be giving a motivational speech. That could be staying in conflict a little bit longer than you're comfortable with and not avoiding conflict. Whatever that is for you, time, repetition, working outside on skills outside of your current ability level, and then real-time coaching and feedback. So for me, people who want to level up, do you have a partner in the organization who's going to give you that unfiltered feedback? Are you walking into work every day or Zooming in or Teamsing in or WebExing in with something on your agenda that you're actually practicing? And are you staying in that space and then getting data back? Oh, I love it. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot now. Let's hear Scott. Tell us a story about you working on a skill outside of your ability level. What are you doing right now? So it, it could be any number of examples. Every time I walk into a classroom, and let's say I a lot of my courses are graduate courses in our MBA, and I am practicing presentation skills every night. Bottom line, storytelling, humor. I'm practicing that. I'm using that as a practice field. Most professors, sorry, professors, but I got your number, walk in the room and show up and throw up. They aren't practicing anything. And so there's an opportunity for me every night that I'm in the classroom to practice presentation skills. And that's how I frame that experience. Sometimes I'll be speaking with physicians because I do a lot of coaching around presentation skills. And physicians will say, well, I don't really give presentations all that often. And I say, you know what you do every day with your patients, you are trying to influence them to change their behavior, change their lives, and you are influencing them. And you are practicing presentation skills in that moment. It's an audience of three, but can you tell the story? Can you add in some humor if that's appropriate? Can you influence those individuals to change their behavior? So that's one quick example. Another quick example is that I started my own podcast last March 2020, and that was another opportunity for me to deliberately practice presenting because we are in the gig, in the business of hopefully attracting new listeners, keeping people engaged, getting them excited about what they're learning. And, and then they want to come back and they want to learn more. And I think that's, so that's another practice field for me. And I could give you a thousand other examples, many of which I'm, I'm failing in right now, but that's a whole nother conversation that we could get to the failure piece. But embracing failure and seeing it as an opportunity is just such a great mindset shift for anyone that doesn't embrace that. We're, we're talking to a lot of leaders, so lots of us know that. But, you know, just putting ourselves out there to fail forward and learn from it is just such a muscle that 
great leaders have built. Um, so one thing I was just going to share about me is that I don't know how many of you are using the clubhouse platform, but man, I cannot figure this thing out. I mean, I know how to like set up rooms and like do great content, but it's kind of like podcasting. You can podcast all you want, but unless anyone's listening, it really doesn't matter. Clubhouse. That's my problem. Like nobody listens. Like I can't get people. So we're like, I'm like, dang it. I'm going to spend time looking on YouTube this weekend to figure out this silly clubhouse, you know, so I can figure it out because other social media channels, I feel like, you know, I can kind of do in my sleep. So anyway, that's just one that I'm working on. This has been so good. Love the conversation. We're going to transition into our lightning round where we get to know just a little bit more about the personal side of our guests. So Scott, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Be right back. And we're going to ask you some questions to get to know the personal side. We'll be right back. Gut Plus Science has just joined the People Forward Network. Gut Plus Science has been on a journey for three and a half years, and we got inspired to create a global podcast network that captures the most incredible efforts of people-first leaders and humans working on a meaningful mission. We believe that the workplace is the largest mission field for change, and the People Forward Network is the largest community of humans on a shared journey to live life of meaning. We'd love for you to join the People Forward Network. There are all kinds of new shows and existing shows coming together under one umbrella to bring you the best content as a community on a mission. Can't wait for you to join us. See the link to peopleforwardnetwork.com in the show notes. All right. It's Nikki and we're back on Gut Plus Science with Scott Allen. Great conversation today about living an intentional life as leaders. Just so many nuggets, so many great takeaways. You guys can look at the show notes for all of my truth you can act on. Um, and I'll be sharing that here in a minute, but we love to do this lightning round where we get to learn about our guests. So a couple questions for you. Number one, what is your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read? A book that I've been reading recently that has really just captured my attention. There's a there's a geneticist at Harvard. His name is David Sinclair. And David Sinclair is actively working to increase the health span and the lifespan of human beings. Another way to say that is he's actively interested in curing death. So the fact that someone's at work right now, David Sinclair, and we actually had him at my institution last fall. He spoke via Zoom. The, the work that he's doing, and again, it's not just increasing lifespan, but increasing health span. So his book is called Lifespan, and that just fundamentally breaks down virtually all aspects of society. If we genuinely do start living longer, and we do start living longer in a healthy way, that just has my mind kind of spinning. So that's a recent book that really has caught my attention. And if listeners are interested... They have the talks at Google. You can watch David Sinclair do a talks at Google. It's about an hour, but it'll <laughs> it's just a fascinating space. And Nikki, they did one study where, and it's just, it's a small number. I'm going to get this, the details. They are not absolutely correct here. But the biological clock is called the Horvath clock. A gentleman at UCLA, I believe, Horvath scientist, so there's some kind of ingredients as to how they figure out what your biological age is. And they had a participant group of, I think it was nine. And I think they gave him this cocktail of drugs for about a year. And they were able to reverse the Horvath clock. So kind of a fascinating time we live in that Aubrey de Grey or David Sinclair, these people are going to work and that's what they're working on today. 
And then Scott, what about a favorite hobby when you're not working? So our family loves to travel and our goal is to get to our children to all 50 states. So this summer we're, we're knocking off New Mexico, Texas, and Arkansas. So kind of a hobby that we have, and this is an interesting one, is planning these trips, planning these little adventures. And obviously during COVID that was, that was thwarted a little bit, but even still, we lived in Utah for a month and we got to Maine for a week and just sheltered in place in those, in those locations. But we went on these little family adventures in national parks. So travel and helping our children see the country and then eventually the world, that I can think of no greater, no greater good or gift that we could give them is just helping them understand there's more than our little town where we live. So where is your favorite vacation spot if you had to pick one? So we love the national parks and one that I would go back to over and over, if listeners have not visited Crater Lake, oh my gosh, there's a color blue you would cannot even imagine. And the stories and the history of that place, it's not a crater, it's actually a collapsed volcano. It's near Bend, Oregon. So the, the joy is that you can spend some time in Crater Lake, spend a night in the lodge, you will see the Milky Way in a way that you've never seen. And then you get to go to Bend, which is this quirky little town. I think the last blockbuster, the last blockbuster is actually in Bend. And they have all this wonderful craft brewing and rock shops, and it's just a great town. So that's one of our favorite places. We'll get back there for sure. Scott, this has been great. How can our listeners connect with you after the show? I'm on social media. So Scott J. Allen on LinkedIn or at SJA Tweets. Uh, www.scottjallen.net is my website. And then I have a couple podcasts, which you can find via that website. So I'm all over the internet, so to speak. <laughs> really enjoyed this conversation today with Scott J. Allen. Here's my truth you can act on from our conversation. Number one, be aware of your state. Are you stuck or are you thriving? Or maybe somewhere in between, but get an understanding of what it is to be thriving versus where you are now, and that's your current baseline. Number two, our personal systems create our outcomes. Successful systems equal successful outcomes. Make sure your systems are helping you win. Number three, have a trusted advisor circle. These people in that circle are your system for helpful feedback. Number four, deliberately practice developing skills outside of your ability level. So not that we're working on doing things that aren't in your realm of gifts, but pushing yourself to develop skills to continue to level up. Love that advice. And don't forget these profound words. Every system is perfectly designed for the results it achieves. Mic drop. Thanks, Scott. See you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.